0: yeah so i said before uh this is our fourth week now that we've been looking at this passage uh together we've really only scratched the surface um there is so much in this text that i would love to share with you but we've been following a particular theme our theme has been how in the world do we engage with a culture that is radically radically different from what the bible teaches So the world in which we live uh people don't believe the way the bible about the world they don't believe about reality the things that the bible believes about reality and so we've been going through these various themes like what do we have to do as christians in order to engage our culture well so first of all we have to learn to love our culture and the people uh who are part of it and second of all we have to learn to respect our culture and the people that are part of it but then last week we talked about how at some point we also have to learn to confront our culture and the people that are a part of it one of the things we we looked at it was how um the bible says that whatever what you think about god is actually the most important thing about you what you think about god is the most important thing about you i cannot tell you how profound a truth that is i could say amen and and encourage you all to go home and just think about that one concept for for an hour What you think about God is the most important thing about you, and it would be enough to, if we really plumb the depths of it, it would be enough to change us. I kid you not. But uh, I feel better when I talk for a while, so I'm going to keep talking for a while. What Paul does in Acts chapter 17 is he, he challenges what people think about God. That's what he does. He basically provides this Christian worldview as he confronts Uh, a people who have very radically different views about God and therefore very radically different views about themselves and about the world and that's what he does in Acts chapter 17 and we have to be able to do that too and we've got to do that today especially because more and more you will discover that the people in our culture who don't believe in christianity who would be they would say they're probably they're spiritual but not religious or they'd say maybe that they're agnostic or atheist or something like that you cannot assume that they are rejecting the christian god that you know and you believe in there was a time when someone said yeah i'm not very religious and i don't believe in god they were they knew the content of the biblical faith at least enough to be to reject that faith but you cannot make that assumption anymore People know very, very little about the Bible. People know very, very little about the Christian faith. They know very, very little about God. You know how it is, it is shocking how many young kids in public schools, because I've talked to Christian teachers about this who teach in public schools, how many young kids around uh, uh, Good Friday and Easter, they will ask their teacher, like, what is what is that cross thing all about? What is this Jesus on a cross thing all about? They have no idea. I'm not just talking about young little children. I'm talking about teenagers. They don't know what the crucifixion means. They don't know what a crucifix, they all want to wear them because they're cool and rock stars wear them. But they don't have any clue what it refers to. That's the kind of culture that we're living in. So we've been exploring this together. Today what we're going to do is we're going to just think for a few minutes about what to expect from the world. So you share the truth of the gospel with someone. Uh, you share it with a neighbor or, a, or a, a co-worker or a family member. For many of us, it's actually family members that uh, don't believe the way we do. And so you do that, what are you supposed to expect from them? And we're going to see that there are, there are kind of three reactions in this text that Paul, uh, that Paul experiences, and we should expect those as well. We, we see that people will sneer, people will be curious— and people will follow. Those are sort of the three expectations that we see, and that's what we're gonna look at. But before we get to those, I just want to think for a second with you about what triggered those responses. Because in verse 32, it says this it says, When they heard about the resurrection of the dead. Da 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 da. So the reactions were caused by them hearing about the resurrection of the dead and and speaking particularly about the resurrection of Jesus. So it's the resurrection. It's not Paul talking about this creator that exists, this this creator who has made the universe and and controls all things, you know, all the stuff he said in the few previous verses. That's not what gets them all worked up. What gets them all worked up is this idea of the resurrection because the resurrection was the proof of the truth of all the other things that Paul said. And don't forget that Christians, what you believe, the reason you believe it ultimately boils down to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus rose from the dead, all these other things that the Apostle Paul says are true. Now for the Greeks, when he said, when he mentioned the resurrection of the dead, that's what kind of sent them sideways. That's when they sort of said, this is crazy, or they didn't understand, or or they, they thought it was ridiculous. And the reason was, was because the Greeks were what you were called dualists. In their philosophical systems, which we looked at last week, they believed that the physical world, physical matter, is bad. It's evil. It's what you want to get away from. The spiritual, the invisible, the spiritual realm, the things beyond the physical, that is good. And therefore, the idea of a bodily resurrection, that Jesus would come back from the dead and that we would have to come back from the dead at the day of judgment, come back from the dead in our bodies at the day of judgment, to them, that was ridiculous. That 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 was terrible. That was something they didn't want to see happen. And if you think about it, if you think about it, it makes sense to some degree that the idea of the resurrection is offensive. Not just to people back then, but to people today. It's, it's, it's an oxymoron to the, to the Greeks. They think it's like boiled ice, but, but to people today, the idea of the resurrection is offensive. And let me explain why. Think of this. Um, what the resurrection does is, is it takes us out of the normal, what you could call the normal realm of religious conversation and dialogue consider this for a second uh, apart from Christianity when two people sit down at least in our culture and Western culture they sit down and they talk about religion one person says well you know this is what I believe and this is what I think maybe you ought to consider believing and they would go along and explain what they believe to the other person and the other person would listen very carefully and and very uh, politely and say hmm that's interesting I'm not sure what I think about this thing that you said, but I'm, I I kind of like what you said about this other thing that you said, but let me tell you what I believe. And you, they would explain to them what they believe, whether it's a, in, a, in a particular religious tradition or none at all. They would go back and forth this way. And and you would say, well, after listening, you'd say, hmm, that's very interesting. And But, you know, that doesn't really work for me, and here's why. This is, this is why that doesn't work for me. And the other person says, well, what what you believe, it doesn't work for me because uh, I grew up in this context, and, and you grew up in that context, and so I sort of think things differently. And you go back and forth. And it's a very pleasant dialogue. And it's the kind of things that is promoted in our culture more, uh, very, very often. People that like the idea of dialogue and the idea of thinking things through together and trying to understand and explain them, etc. And there is nothing ultimately wrong with that. But the problem with Christianity is that is it, it comes along because of the resurrection and it says not, here's what I think you ought to believe. It says it doesn't really matter what you think you ought to believe. The resurrection is a fact. The resurrection is truth it's just there and therefore the resurrection it makes a claim on your life there's a sense in which christianity it doesn't really care what you think because it confronts you with this man who died and then rose again and says i am god i am divine and therefore the only reasonable response is to to give yourself entirely to me it doesn't say, let's consider the options and let's discern what we think is more or less logical or more or less uh, attractive. It just says, I am the son of God who died and rose again, and therefore I have a claim on your life. That's pretty hard because you just kind of got to deal with it. And, and I would ask you, have you dealt with if you're here and you're not a Christian or you're you're, you're, you're kind of questioning your faith or exploring uh, your faith. My question is, have you dealt with the resurrection? Christians claim that a man actually died in, the, in history and came back from the dead, not was resuscitated, okay? Don't mix it up with resuscitation. People have done that all uh, last week. We saw Christian Erickson, He went down in the middle of a game. He had a, uh, he had a cardiac arrest. He was gone and he came back and they resuscitated him. But he will die again. Jesus rose never to die again have you considered that there's there's evidence out there have you considered the evidence have you wrestled with the evidence and maybe you say to yourself well you know it's it happened so long ago how can we be sure that it's true well you know there's a lot of people who believe that evolution is absolutely true and I'm not going to argue whether it is or it isn't. I'm just going to say there's a lot of people who argue that it's absolutely true and, it, and, and and the Big Bang, sorry, the Big Bang is true. A lot of people believe that. Well, that happened, allegedly, anyway, 14 billion years ago. That's a lot longer ago than the alleged resurrection of Jesus. Why are you so willing to just accept what happened some 14 billion years ago and you so question what happened some 2,000 years ago simply because it happened a long time ago? I'm just throwing that out there for you to consider. You don't question the Gallic Wars. You don't question whether Julius Caesar crossed the Rubicon. All these things happened a lot longer before Jesus was uh, died and resurrected. All right. Now, what's my point here? Because of the resurrection and the confrontation it makes, we shouldn't be surprised at the kind of responses that Paul received. And if you look at what he received, he received some pretty strong responses. And the first one was that people sneered. It says that when they heard about the resurrection... Where are we here? Okay, let me find all my... When they heard about the resurrection of the dead some of them sneered now it's an interesting word that paul uses it's the same word actually that gets used to describe how people made fun of the apostles on pentecost when they started preaching and they were like those guys are drunk and peter's like no it's nine in the morning we're not drunk we're filled with the holy spirit it's the same word that they use people sneered at them people made fun of them people mocked them people said said this stuff is 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 unbelievable people said you guys are gullible you guys are naive you guys are so impressionable and it's interesting that sometimes this is precisely what people will do they will deflect from the issue by attacking the person they will deflect from the issue by attacking the person they will say you know well you know you're 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 obviously not very educated or those people they're rednecks But those people are easily impressed. Those people are weak and they need some kind of crutch to get through life. And so that's why they hold on to Christianity. That's what people will sometimes do. That's sneering language. Now, we're in Canada, so we don't typically get that face-to-face. But if you go on social media, you see it everywhere. You see it everywhere. Because when you're not face-to-face, it's a lot easier to be unkind. It's a lot easier, easier to be blunt. And it's a lot easier to be hurtful thankfully most people in in Canada they won't respond that way they won't sneer they'll do what 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 happens next they'll be more likely to say something like what the the athenians said it says that some said we want to hear you again on this subject that is they were curious they were politely curious now scholars have fought over whether or not it was a serious curiosity and that's because if you go up in the passage in verse 21 it says something paul makes this as a or luke writes this down as a parenthetical statement but it says this all the athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas and so some scholars say well you know the athenians weren't really interested in seriously accepting this this uh this gospel story no they 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 were just being polite because they had perpetually open minds. They were the kind of people that, that uh, loved to think about ideas and bandy them about and, and have an open mind and have intellectual debates and see things from different perspectives. They really enjoyed that. And that's a very popular thing today. People like to do that today too. And people say in the name of intellectual humility, they'll say, well, we can't really know. How can we really know what's true and what's, what's not true? At least in a metaphysical sense. The universe is very complex and big and history is long and complicated. And you hear people say, you know, the more I know, the more I realize I don't know. How many of you have said that? I've said that. The more I know, the more I realize I don't know. And currently right now in in some uh, Christian traditions, there's there's a popular thing happening called uh, the deconstruction movement. Anybody here heard of the deconstruction movement? it's this movement among evangelicals who are who are what's called deconstructing their faith and that means that they're they're asking tough questions about their faith and how their faith deals with particular issues they see uh they see things like uh, the way L- people who are LGBTQ, the way they're treated, they see how, diff- how racism is uh, rampant not rampant maybe, but certainly present in some Christian traditions they wonder about things like the infalli- infallibility of the Bible or how can God be all-knowing or they see the suffering of the world and they say to themselves well, how can God be good and gracious and kind when I see all this garbage happening around me, and so what they do is, is they start questioning and doubting and deconstructing their faith it probably started with Rob Bell. Uh, other famous people like Josh Harris has uh, deconstructed his faith. He has kind of walked away from uh, the Christian faith of his youth because of these kinds of questions. Uh, some of you may have heard of Josh Sampson. He was a lead singer of Hillsong Music. There's a guy named uh, John Steingard who's from a, a very popular Christian band called Hawk Nelson. Gungor, uh, who, who, sings that, who wrote that song, Beautiful things, you know, you make beautiful things. You make something, something out of the dust. You know that song? He has left the faith. He has described. Distru- there's, there's these guys named Rhett and Link. I know nothing about who they are at all. I honestly, I just Googled uh, well known deconstructionists and they came up. They're YouTubers or something. And it's almost as if, listen, here's my point it's almost as if uncertainty is cool. It's almost as if uncertainty is cool, as if being sure of what you believe is is evidence of hubris, of pride, of arrogance. And, And if you're really authentic, you need to be doubting. Now, elements of this are laudable. I want you to hear something very, very clearly. Elements of this are laudable. If you have questions about the Christian faith, if you wonder about things like how Christianity relates to lgbtq issues how christianity relates to race how the christian faith relates to suffering around the world how how can it be true that that you believe that this book really does contain the words of god without error if you have those questions grace valley church is a place where it is safe to ask them it is a place where it is safe to ask them it should be a place where it's safe to ask them we're an aspirational church so we're always trying to be something I want it to be a place where it is safe to ask those questions, where you have the room to be honest and doubt and say, I'm not so sure. But listen, and listen carefully. Open-mindedness can sometimes be a mask for an unwillingness to give up control of your life. Doubt is fine but it's doubt-seeking certainty that matters. A lack of faith is okay, but it's a lack of faith that wants to find certain faith. Sometimes we won't accept certainty, we won't accept truth, and we call it unsophisticated to do so to accept truth, but listen to, to one of the most brilliant minds, in my opinion, of the 20th century, a man by the name of G.K. Chesterton. He said this, An open mind is all very well in its way, but it ought not be so open that there is no keeping anything in or out of it. It should be capable of shutting its doors on something, or it may be found a little drafty. An open mind is really a mark of foolishness, like an open mouth. Mouths and minds are made to be shut The object of opening the mind as of opening the mouth is to shut it again on something solid. Real, open, honest questioning is welcome, but we've gotta be seeking understanding. Do you want to live your whole life saying, I just don't know? It's an untenable, unsustainable way to live. You have to make decisions of of internal significance that matter, and as I said last week, you don't know how much time you have to work out the answers. You don't know how much time God has given you to figure things out. So if you're questioning, please come to me and say, I got questions. I will meet with anybody as many times as I need to who wants to talk openly and honestly about their doubts and objections and problems with the Christian faith. But we've got to be honest, friends. Sometimes we we use open-mindedness as a way of defending our desire to maintain control. We don't want to give ourselves to something bigger than us. A doctrine, an ideal, a way of life. Because then we're not free to do whatever we want. And being free to be me, that is the ultimate mantra of our modern Western culture. Okay. Some scholars take a more positive view of what it means for the, Athen- the Athenians to be curious. And they say that they're actually sincerely curious. And if they were, that would lead to the last reaction. And we find that in verse 34, where it says, um, Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Now. Some of you might say, well, yeah, that's obvious. Some people are going to be converted and some people are going, to, are going to become Christians. They believed, right? But wait a minute. Listen carefully to how Luke phrases it. He says some of them became followers of Paul and believed. When you look at the whole sermon Paul gives, he actually doesn't give An awful lot of gospel from what we can tell what he does give however is he gives them a comprehensive kind of Christian worldview he says this is how Christians understand reality and that is what piques their interest so probably nobody did he talk about the crucifixion well it says he talked about the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of the dead so he probably did talk about the crucifixion and the cross at least somewhat But most scholars think that that probably nobody actually became a Christian right on the spot, right there. And in our culture, friends, sometimes Christians in the subculture, they think that if they give a good presentation of the gospel to someone and the person's heart is open to it, that they'll convert right there on the spot. Instant conversion equals success. Person says the sinner's prayer, boom, they're a believer. And, And that still does happen. In fact, actually, uh, my my dad and his wife, Joan, uh, they're in their late 70s, and they are extremely aggressive evangelists. I really want them to join Grace Valley because we need more people like that. But they live in Grimsby, and they have these these. This happens to them. This happens to them. Like when I say, "Hey, do you want to say the sinner's prayer?" The people say get lost, leave me alone. When he, they say you want to say the sinner's prayer, yeah, absolutely, I do. I want to give my life to Jesus. I don't know what I'm doing wrong, but it, it does still happen, thankfully. But more often than not, what happens is people enter the Christian community. They became followers of Paul, it says here. And more often than not, people become intrigued and they become interested and they discover the Christian community. We have people sitting out here today have come to faith in Jesus Christ through becoming part of the community first and as Tim Keller puts it they, they put on Christianity it's like a new set of clothes and they put it on and they try it on and they see how it fits and it may take them a very long time to actually buy if I can put it this way the faith actually bite down and commit they have legitimate questions and we've talked about that and they have legitimate doubts but what they have done is they have learned not just to doubt the faith, but they've learned actually to doubt their doubts. Meaning they, they have presuppositions about what is true and, and, and how the world ought to work, and they've become willing to question those presuppositions. I always thought there was never a creator. And now they're like, hmm, maybe there is. I always thought that morality was relative and there was no absolute truth that was, was, was absolutely certain for all times and all places. Well, maybe there is. And become because they become willing to doubt their doubts and work through those doubts in the community of faith and to see the Christian faith modeled by people like you over a long period of time, they come eventually to believe, just as Paul saw in this passage. Some of us need to remember, friends, it takes a long time. It takes a long time to work through the Christian paradigm and see if it makes sense. If you have been raised outside of a Christian home and you are a purely secular person and you get introduced to the Christian faith when you first hear about it it will sound crazy to you the doctrines sound crazy that's crazy enough a man walked on water and he died and rose again, and I need somebody to die to pay for my sin because I'm guilty before an all-knowing, all all-seeing God, who I can't even see anyway. What evidence is there of that? Have you ever thought of how crazy the Christian faith sounds to a non-believer? Not to mention our ethics. The things that we think are right and wrong. When we tell two young people you shouldn't... <laughs> talk to people in our church who who, were, who uh, had a business doing wedding, wedding photos, like wedding photographer, Mike and Kate. And everybody just keeps canceling their wedding. And they say, well, because of COVID, we're putting it off another year. We put it off another year. We put it off another year. No problem. We'll just get married next year. You know why? Because they're living together and getting married is no big thing. It's all the Christians who are saying we still need to get married this summer. Because you know why it sounds crazy as christians we need to appreciate that okay we need to be patient with people I, that is very hard for me you saw me last week many of you losing my mind pleading with people to put their trust in jesus christ i admit that that's more my jam but we need to be patient Because Christianity is more and more not just seen as crazy to people, it's seen as dangerous. And who wants to get mixed up in an ideology that's dangerous? Last thing, finally, don't be surprised, however, if some people do believe in the end. It says Damaris believed probably a well-educated woman, it says Dionysus believed. He was a member of the Areopagus. He was a philosopher in the city of Athens. He was one of the elites. He was a sophisticate and he became a follower of Jesus Christ and that happens. It may be a slow process, but it happens. Think of C.S. Lewis. Think more recently of David Brooks, famous New York Times columnist. I just thought I'd find out famous Christians. Tom Hanks is a Christian. Brian Stewart, who used to be senior correspondent to the CBC, he is a Christian, and you know what converted him? Traveling all over the world to various places to to, to report on the most heinous natural disasters and uh, human disasters that were happening around the world. Everywhere he went, Christians were the first people there. They were there before him. And they were rebuilding, and they were helping out and they were they were doing good among the people and and every time he met them it was always evangelical conservative christians and he would be like what are you doing here and they'd say jesus and finally he had to give up and say okay jesus he's real he's true chris pratt i don't know what kind of a christian he is but google his acceptance speech at the 2018 mtv movie awards it is one of the most brilliant simple Acts 17 gospel presentations at the MTV Movie Awards. He preached the gospel in four minutes. And half the people didn't know he was doing it. And that was the brilliance of it, in a a sense. Don't don't ask me what I mean by that. Just trust me. Listen to it, okay? I'll close with this. You know, Dionysus believed, right? Powerful man, elite man in the Areopagus. In the 4th century... A church historian by the name of Eusebius says that the bishop of Athens, the first bishop of Athens, was this man, Dionysus. If you know someone who's smart, sometimes too smart for their own good, and you think to yourself, I don't know if they'll ever believe. They have so many problems, so many objections, so many concerns. Be encouraged this morning. Are we still in the morning? Yep, barely. Be encouraged. The gospel is for philosophers too. Pray, be patient, be bold. Let's pray together. Father, teach us uh, to trust your word. Teach us to boldly share it. Teach us to have faith in you. And we pray for all the people we love who don't know you. Maybe they're a family member, a son or daughter, or a brother or sister, or a husband or wife, whatever. Maybe they're a a really, really close friend, maybe even a childhood friend. Maybe it's someone who wandered from the faith and, uh, and we long to see them come back. Maybe it's someone we work with. We pause now and every one of us knows someone that we care about that doesn't know you. And we just pause right now and we share their name in in our hearts, maybe even on our lips, and we offer them up to you. Do a mighty work, we pray because only you can. In Jesus, amen.